Good morning. I am not Pastor Bruno, just in case you're wondering. Uh, Pastor and I are both um, baseball guys, so um, we decided to throw a change up this morning, uh, reversing roles. Actually, uh, just giving Pastor a well-deserved uh, break uh, this, this morning. We've been talking about imperfect people doing God's perfect will. And we see throughout Scripture that God uses ordinary people, imperfect people, to include some with huge character flaws to show us what he could accomplish through us, even when we are weak. And when he does this, he gets the glory. Over the past three weeks, pastors talked about Abraham, Moses, David. My word, you could put those three on the Mount Rushmore of Old Testament saints. Great men of God who have failed miserably, yet God used them for his glory. And as we look at imperfect people, I would venture to guess that many of us, maybe most of, all, most of us, could probably relate to the Apostle Peter better than all the other imperfect people of the Bible. Like Peter, we've all made incredibly poor choices. Like Peter, we failed. Like Peter, we have sinned. And like Peter, our poor choices, our failures, and our sins do not have to be the final chapter of our lives. So this morning, this is a message of how to overcome our failures, our poor choices, and our sins. So, if you've never made a poor choice, if you've never failed, and you're not a sinner, two things. One, I'd love to meet you, all right? And number two, this message probably isn't for you. But if you're like me, I'm a sinner, I've made many poor choices, and I have failed, I hope and pray you can get something out of this. Before I pray, I'd like to read and share a story with you about a man you all know, and you know him well. His name is Walter. He grew up in a very dysfunctional family with a dominant, domineering father. He and his three brothers all ran away before the age of 16. Walter lied about his age so he could join the army. After the army, Walter started a business at the age of 22 in Kansas City, but it failed and he had to declare bankruptcy. With only $40 to his name, he moved to California to try to become an actor, but he never made it. He and his brother Roy started an animation service, now I think you know who I'm talking about, but never gained rights to their drawings, so they lost ownership of their art. Walter suffered what he described as a heck of a breakdown, but he refused to give up. He had the idea to draw a cartoon mouse that he would name Mortimer Mouse, but his brilliant wife Lillian suggested a better name would be Mickey Mouse. So Mickey Mouse was born in 1928. But Walt Disney still faced more failure. After producing several movies and cartoons, his company was $4 million in debt after World War II. That was a lot of money, a lot of money today. 
Now, Walt was depressed and having a hard time dealing with stress. So he took a chance at a new medium called television. And he started the Mickey Mouse Club, the Davy Crockett Show, and the wonderful world of color. And if you're my age, uh, you remember that television show. Things finally turned around, and he opened up a theme park called Disneyland in 1955. But Walt had another dream of opening uh, another theme park called Disney World in a swampy area called Orlando, Florida. But Walt died at the age of uh, 65 in 1966. So he never had the opportunity to see Disney World in Orlando. However, today, the Walt Disney Company is worth well over $100 billion. Amazing, isn't it? I don't know if Disney was a Christian or not. That's really not um, the heart of, what I, of why I'm saying this. But he did experience many failures. He made many poor choices. But he never gave up. And that's my point. Because this morning, we're going to take a look at the life of Simon Peter. A man who made many poor choices. A man who failed. A man who sinned. And a man who did not give up and did not allow those things to become fatal or final in his life. Before we do that, just take a moment and allow me to pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity that we've had already to worship you in song. I pray, Lord, that we would continue to worship you as we look at your word. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. That never, ever changes. Father, I, I thank you, and I'm humbled to be standing up here. I pray, Lord, that you would, again, anoint my lips. I pray, Lord, that I would do justice with your word. And that your word would penetrate the hearts of those sitting here today. But above all, I pray today that you would be glorified. For I ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we'll be in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. We'll be looking at several different uh, passages. Uh, if you'd like to follow along with your Bibles, great. The Worship Bible, I think it's page 851, or we'll have it on the screen here. Now, we're going to start with uh, verse 27 in chapter 14, which says, And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all, all being the disciples, said the same thing. So they left the upper room and they started walking to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus wanted to pray and he asked his disciples to pray as well. But we know that the, the uh, disciples couldn't even stay awake for an hour because they all fell asleep. And I find this to be interesting because just a moment ago they said, hey, we'll never deny you. We'll die with you. And yet they couldn't stay awake for one hour. Interesting. Interesting. So we know the story here, right? 
Judas betrays Jesus, and Jesus gets arrested. So when Jesus was arrested, Peter followed the group back to the house of the high priest, uh, Caiaphas. So let's take a look at this story by looking at the scriptures 66 through 72. And we read, And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. Then he went out into the, into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to, and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. I want to take a closer look at this. And I specifically want to take a closer look at the three denials. Going back to verse 67, reading again, it says, and seeing Peter warming himself, she, she being the servant girl, looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene. So look at the phrase, looked at him, looked at him. In the Greek, that means to gaze intently, to gaze intently. You see, this lowly little servant girl was staring at Peter, gazing intently at Peter, and it made Peter uncomfortable. Matter of fact, it made Peter very uncomfortable because she identifies Peter as one of Jesus' disciples. Not sure how she really knew he was a disciple of Peter. I really don't know. It could be his accent, his northern accent, or maybe the odd clothes Peter was wearing. Or it just could be um, that she saw Peter with Jesus um, Sometimes before when, when Jesus was teaching. I really don't know that. But what I do know is this. That she stared down at Peter and she called Peter out. And look at the next verse. In verse 68 we see that Peter went out into the gateway. Peter has been called out and he's on the run. And he's trying to avoid the servant girl. And what does he do? He denies knowing Jesus. Denial number one. In verse 70... It appears that his accent has given him away because one of the bystanders referred to him as a Galilean. And Peter again denies knowing Jesus. Denial number two. Then in 71, we see the old Peter come out, the rough and tumble fisherman. He's on full display because he begins to curse and he begins to swear and he denies knowing Jesus a third time. Peter, really? Think about this. He walked with Jesus for almost three years. He was taught by Jesus. He ate with Jesus. I'm sure he looked face to face at Jesus. He knew the truth. He knew who Jesus was. He saw miracle after miracle. Matter of fact, he was told he would deny him three times, and he did it. He did it. You know, I recognize that sin is sin. But denying 
our Lord is a pretty serious transgression, isn't it? I mean, Luke says in 12, 9, says, the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. I mean, it's easy to condemn Peter, isn't it? I, I mean, I think it is, you know? But let me ask you this. As a Christian, have you ever denied Christ? I have. I have. And quite frankly, many of you probably have as well. Why? Because denials can take many forms. Let me give you a few examples of what I mean. All right? We can deny Christ when we advocate opinions which tend to lessen the authority of the written word. We all have opinions. That's fine. But when we share our opinions or we post our opinions, does it contradict the word of God? And if it does, that's a form of denying Christ, is it not? I think it is. Sometimes we deny Christ by our silence. Have you ever been in a group of people and the conversation gets on the topic of religion and some folks start to spew doctrine that is absolutely false? It happens. By our silence, we can give the impression that we agree with what was just said. I know it's hard to stand up in a group like that and, and to share truth, but don't you think the truth of Christ ought to be vindicated? That could possibly be a denial. We sometimes deny Christ by appearing at places and engaging in pursuits that even non-believers themselves recognize as unsuitable for earnest Christians. Maybe this is a stretch right here, but we deny Christ by neglecting efforts to spread the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ at home and abroad. It's a form of denial. Have you ever denied Jesus Christ? I have. So how did this happen to Peter? I mean, think about it. I mean, Simon Peter was a leader among the 12 disciples. He was one of the first disciples Jesus called. And after Jesus ascended into heaven, he used Peter to start his church. And yet he denied Jesus three times. When I look at Peter's life, I see that, that there are at least three steps, in my opinion, that led to his downward path of failure. And I want to take a, a moment to look at these three steps so hopefully we can avoid those very same steps so we don't run into the pitfalls that Simon Peter did. And I think his first downward step was disagreement with the word of God. In Matthew 16, verses 13 through 16, we read, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say you are John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus complimented Peter on his good understanding. Then Jesus began to uh, teach him that he would be going to Jerusalem where he would be put to death because that's part of God's perfect revelation. But Peter, being Peter, 
disagreed with God's word. In Matthew 16, 22 and 23, 23, we read, and Peter took him aside, and I love this, and he began to rebuke Jesus. Really, Peter? Saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. Peter heard God's plan straight from the mouth of Jesus. And yet, he thought he knew better. Lord Jesus, no. None of this dying talk. Not going to happen. In the same way, folks, I think we're headed for failure when we start to disagree with the word of God. When a person no longer consults with the Bible for personal morality, oftentimes that person is headed for a fall. So my first no-duh challenge of the morning is be in the word, but obey the word of God as well. Right? We're told not just to be hearers of the word, but doers as well. You know, there was a time when our national morality was based on the morality of the Bible. We have long since forsaken God's word as a source of right and wrong. And I believe that's why we're in the mess we're in today, unfortunately. But you know what? It's not too late to make a difference. It's never too late. Peter's second step towards failure, in my opinion, was overconfidence. Or maybe pride is a better word. When Jesus predicted that all the disciples would leave him, Peter bragged that he would stick with Jesus. He basically said, hey, all my brothers may leave you, but I will stand by you, whatever happens. We know the story. Jesus said, Peter, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And Peter being Peter said, what? Never. Not me, Lord. Ain't going to happen. I'm Peter. It just won't happen. You know, the Bible has a strong warning against overconfidence. Or, or pride. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Over the years, I've spoken to many people uh, struggling with some type of sin. I've had people come to me and confess sin. But very rarely have I heard someone come to me saying they struggle with the sin of pride. It just doesn't happen. I think pride is a condition that blinds the person who has it. C.S. Lewis, in his amazing book, Mere Christianity, wrote, A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Listen, pride is an attitude that causes you to think you're incapable of sinning. Did you get that? Pride is an attitude that causes you to think you're incapable of sinning. But we're all capable of sinning, which, mean, which means we're all capable of denying our Lord. And the third step 
on the pathway to failure was peer pressure from the wrong crowd. Peter sat and he warmed himself at the fire with those who were hostile towards Jesus and anyone, and anyone else associated with him. And look, I get it. It's hard to stand up and, and, and confess Jesus when people are hostile towards your beliefs. I, I, I know that. I get that. But we read in Mark 14, 54, that Peter followed Jesus at a distance to the courtyard of the high priest's house. And to me, that's an indication that we find ourselves in trouble when we don't follow the Lord closely. Some of you may have at one time followed the Lord closely, but maybe you've hung back a bit. And now you follow the Lord at a distance. Be careful. Please be careful, because before long, you'll find yourself hanging out with the wrong crowd. And maybe, maybe you'll find yourself doing the wrong things with the wrong crowd. Let me tell you something, folks. Falling away from the Lord doesn't happen overnight. It happens gradually over a period of time. I've actually seen it in this church where there are people who will sit in the front and gradually move to the back, to the back, to the back, then they're out the door. I'm not suggesting you guys are leaving. I hope not. If you are, please see me. Peter found himself walking with the wrong crowd. Then he stood with them. Then he sat down by the fire with them. If, you're if you find yourself walking with the wrong crowd, please do me a favor. Stop and turn around. Turn around immediately. Don't stand with them. Don't sit with them. Now, I know some of you are thinking. I know what you're thinking right now. All right. If we do not hang out with the quote-unquote wrong crowd, how do we reach them for Jesus? If you're thinking that, that's a fair thought. Hear me and hear me very clearly. I am not suggesting that we do not associate with unbelievers. I am merely suggesting that if we, that we do not engage in sinful endeavors to gain their favor by acting like the world. We have to engage the world. We have to. It's why we do these outreaches. I'm just suggesting do it prayerfully. Do it wisely. Peer pressure is tough. We all feel it, especially our young people. But adults, fear, adults feel pressure as well because everyone wants to be accepted by the crowd. I get that. And sometimes people will do almost anything to be part of the in crowd, and that includes sinning. Please be careful. So we see that Peter, I see that Peter took these three steps. Disagreement with the word of God, pride, and peer pressure until he denied the Lord. A little servant girl, a little servant girl said, I've seen you with Jesus. You're one of his disciples. Peter said, I am not. A second person said, yes, you are. You are one of the disciples of Jesus Christ. The second time Peter said, you're wrong. I don't know Jesus. Then one of them recognized his accent. I can tell by the way you talk. You're from Galilee. You were with Jesus. At that moment, Peter lost it. 
Peter lost it. He cursed like the sailor he was. He apparently went off on them, the list of profanities. And at that precise moment, at that precise moment, it happened. The rooster crowed once and then a second time. I don't know why the rooster had to crow a second time. Maybe just wanted, the Lord wanted Peter to really hear that rooster. I, I, I really don't know. But I know this. Peter knew all about roosters. He really did. You couldn't live in Galilee and, and, and not get familiar with the daily um, singing of the rooster chorus. All right? Roosters were everywhere. Um, hearing the rooster in the morning, it's like us hearing our alarm clock go off. Peter heard the rooster crow thousands and thousands of times in his life. But I guarantee you this. Of all the times, and of all the roosters, I bet Peter remembered that rooster's crow for the rest of his life. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. Because after the rooster crowed, then Peter remembered the words of the Lord. The very thing Peter said would never happen had happened. He denied his Lord. He denied Jesus. He was at rock bottom. Peter was at rock bottom. He was done. He was done. In his mind, he didn't even think he was a disciple. Maybe you've been there, rock bottom. I hope not. Maybe you're there now. I certainly hope not. And maybe one day you will be there again. I hope not. Rock bottom is a really bad place to be. But you know what? When you're there, there's only one direction to go. Amen? Looking up. All right? Sometimes maybe we need to hit rock bottom. Do you see yourself in Peter? I have to tell you. I do. I do. I, I, I see myself in Peter. I hate to admit it, but I really do see myself in Peter. So what insights can we gain from Peter's life? What's the application this morning? Like Peter, we've all made incredibly poor choices in life. Look at Peter's life, okay? I mean, look at the poor choices he made. Let me give you a quick summary, right? He was arrogant, which led him to put too much faith in himself, which is pride, and not enough in God. He was impulsive and found himself in tight spots as a result. He was defiant at times, even scolding or rebuking Jesus instead of conforming immediately to his will. He obviously had a weak prayer life. I mean, when they were in the Garden of Gethsemane, he couldn't even pray for one hour. And his commitment to Jesus was so spotty that he followed Jesus at a distance after his arrest and then denied him three times. Far from perfect was Peter. Far from perfect was Peter. Are you wrestling with poor choices in your life? I bet some of you are. You know, over the years, um, I've talked to people who have been dealing with or caught up with addictions. Addiction to drugs, alcohol, tobacco, food, pornography. In my life, and you may laugh at this, I was addicted to running. 
I was. I, see, I put running above my God and my family. We make incredibly poor choices that almost always lead to emptiness and pain. But here's the good news this morning. And there is good news. Like Peter, our poor choices don't have to be the final chapter of our lives. Look, Peter was a guy who didn't settle for little mistakes. Not Peter. His bigger-than-life personality put him in huge positions to fail. But when he did fail, we see a huge capacity with Peter for brokenness and repentance. A huge capacity for that. Remember in the upper room in the last, during the Last Supper when Jesus donned a towel and began to wash the feet of his disciples? What did Peter say when Jesus came to him? Not me. No way, Lord. You're not washing my feet. All right? But Jesus said to Peter, you'll understand someday why I'm doing this. But Peter was still defiant. He said, you're not, you're not washing my feet. Then Jesus said, if you don't let me wash your feet, you'll have no part of me. Then Peter being Peter, I, I love this about Peter. He says, well, then just don't wash my feet. But my head and my hands, just wash whatever you want. That was Peter, over the top with everything. I mean, what did Peter do when he heard the rooster crow the second time? He wept. Luke says he wept bitterly. See, Peter just didn't tear up. He wept bitterly. Look, tears clearly a deep sign of, of, of Peter's repentance. He realized at last what he had done, how far he had fallen, how his denials had hurt his Lord. Tears are good if they lead to a, a new devotion to Christ or a new determination to serve him. I mean, it's good. But we may weep and weep and weep, but if our tears are, um, do not signal the breaking of our heart, then it's an issue. Psalm 51, 17 says, A broken and contrite heart, O Lord, you will not despise. Peter always did things in a big way. Always. And I believe his brokenness over denying his Lord swept through every single cell in his body. And he wept. He wept bitterly. He wept uncontrollably. You see, restoration, my friends, begins with genuine brokenness and repentance. There's an inclination in most of us to either hide our sin, ignore our sin, or maybe even blame our sin on someone else. If that's you this morning, if you've been trying to keep your poor choices in the dark, let me encourage you to bring it out into the light. It's only when we recognize the problem that we can get help from God to fix the problem. And it's only when we stop pretending it's all right with God to step in, it's when he will bring healing. We need to stop pretending, and we need to give it to him. We can't do it alone. And when we do this, that's when God will bring the healing and the wholeness that we need. When we don't do this, maybe that's a sign of pride. I don't know. But you know what? 
even committed Christians believe that God will not reveal himself or use anyone who doesn't have life altogether. I don't know of anyone who really has life altogether. Again, if you have life altogether, I want to meet you as well. Okay? Because I want to learn from you. I want to ask a question that I want you to ponder. Do you believe that God expects perfection from his followers? Do you believe that? We'll get to that in a moment. I think in the Gospels, the story of Peter and the story of his restoration is one of the most meaningful stories there is. It really speaks to me. I believe it speaks to others. We know the story. It takes place on the beach along the Sea of Tiberias. We know that Peter has seriously let Jesus down over recent days, running away from Jesus at his greatest need and repeatedly denying that he even knew him. So, at their breakfast meeting, Jesus had every right to say to Peter, Peter, I love you. I forgive you. But man, you really let me down. And I can't trust you anymore. I can't use you anymore. I love you. You're forgiven. I just can't use you. Because I can't trust you. I just can't use you. Jesus had every right to say that. Yet he did the exact opposite, didn't he? He gave Peter responsibility, responsibility saying, feed my sheep. Doesn't get any bigger than that. Feed my sheep. Look, Peter was far from perfect. Peter was anything but a poster boy for having it all together. Growing up, we call Peter's maggots. Like, you know, you're a maggot. All right? Peter was a maggot. I mean, he's just a sinful, sinful man. Let's face it. Yet, Jesus not only revealed himself personally to Peter, but he gave him authority to minister to others. Wow. Look, God's people are to pursue holiness. Okay? We are to pursue holiness. Okay? No one is perfect, and we all struggle with sin's grip on our lives. I, I get that. In 1 John 1 8, it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Yet, we still need to embrace ourselves as both saint and sinner with struggles and weaknesses, successes and failures, victories and defeat. And listen, when we acknowledge our brokenness, our struggles, and our need for God, then he will use us. Then he will use us. And when we embrace our weaknesses as part of who we are and put our confidence in Christ's work and our lives, he will use us. There's the good news, my friends. We don't have to wallow in self-condemnation today. We don't have to do that. That's a lie. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians uh, 12, 9 through 10, he says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest in me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God restored Peter. And oh my, how God used Peter. 
I mean, Peter became one of the great leaders of the early church. Imperfect people doing God's perfect will. Can anybody relate to Peter? John Maxwell wrote, Failing doesn't mean I'm a failure. It just means I have not yet succeeded. Doesn't mean I've accomplished nothing. It just means I've learned something. It doesn't mean I'll never make it. It just means I have a reason to start again. It doesn't mean God has abandoned me. It just means he has a better idea. One point, one final point, and I'm done. I noticed that Jesus either instructed Peter, disciplined Peter, corrected Peter, but never rejects Peter. Jesus always calls Peter into a deeper goodness. We serve a really, really good God who is patient. You know what? Amen? He is very, very patient. The Bible is full of stories of people who loved God and failed him on a grand scale. Noah failed. Abraham failed. Moses failed. David failed. Solomon failed. Thomas failed. Peter failed. The list goes on and on and on. Imperfect people doing God's perfect will. We're in pretty good company. <laughs> Amen? There's hope for all of us. I'm ask the band to come forward. As the band's coming forward, I was reminded of what Pastor Bruno said last week. It really resonated with me. If you need to reconnect with God, I want to give you permission to do that. If you're wrestling with a poor choice in your life, a failure, and you need to do business with God, I want to encourage you to do that. You can do it where you are. You have liberty to come to the steps of the altar and kneel down, or may encourage you to see the pastoral team after the service. We would love to pray for you. But let me tell you something. We have a great adversary who's a liar. And what he wants you to know is if you have sin in your life, you cannot be used by God. That is a bold-faced lie. Do not believe the devil. God can use all of us. I'm a perfect example of that. Let me pray. Our Father God, we thank you that you do use us, imperfect people. And Lord, what a reminder that you can use any of us. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that if we need to do business with you this morning, that we would do business with you, that you would restore us, that you would use us, and that you would be glorified. Lord, finish this message in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray.